Can you introduce yourself? Who are you? This is weird, man. Sorry. <laughs> uh, pretend it's someone else interviewing you, asking you these questions. Okay. Um, my name is Mark. I'm one of the founding partners of Types and Symbols. That's Mark Cook. He and Ivan started Types and Symbols in 2015. Types and Symbols is a creative studio that works solely with the Adventist Church or different Adventist ministries. We also have a side of the studio that we use to launch our own projects. In case you haven't heard or noticed, Types and Symbols publishes this podcast. That's one of the projects. And the studio has also published two sets of books. The Conflict Beautiful was the first of those. And then the Light and Life collection is, uh, is the second. Mark was the design lead on both sets. And in case you've never listened to our credits before, The Conflict Beautiful is a new hardcover NKJV edition of Ellen White's Conflict of the Ages series. The Conflict Audible, this show, was made mostly as a companion to that set of five books. But this episode is specifically about the other, much smaller set. The Light and Life Collection is three of our favorite books that Ellen White wrote about Jesus. So there's the Book Steps to Christ, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, and Christ Object Lessons. So we chose Steps to Christ because it's the book that is most widely shared of any Ellen White book that's been written. Uh, it's been translated into many languages, published millions of times. And so we really wanted to make a high-quality edition of that book. And that's where this set of three books started from, was a desire to make Steps to Christ. Earlier, while working on The Conflict Beautiful, Mark learned that the content that became Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing and Christ's Object Lessons was originally intended as part of The Desire of Ages. We'll come back to that later. It was getting too long, so she pulled that content out, published it as two separate books, and we felt like that was a nice pairing with Steps to Christ to sort of flesh out that focus on Jesus and deepening a relationship with him. Unlike the Conflict of the Ages series, these three books were never really published or collected as a set. And part of why we're starting this episode by talking about Types and Symbols' edition is to set up why we're talking about these three books in a single episode. But since we're here... Why did we as a studio decide to make our own versions? Like, what's what's different or better about ours? Well, there's two things. Uh, the, the first is we really wanted to make a well-designed expertly crafted edition of these books. They've been published millions of times, but uh, typically the focus has been, especially in in recent years, to to publish them as inexpensively as possible. And so on one level, we just wanted to make a set of these books that were beautiful and well-crafted, would stand up to heavy use, beautiful paper, nice wide margins, all the design things that we wanted to pay attention to. One way to describe the Light and Life collection is that it's the addition you would get if a detail-oriented, quality-obsessed design studio redesigned these books. And it took a long time. When we started the process, we paid a lot of attention to the covers, and we were looking at a lot of different illustrations that we might use. We were thinking about icons. We were looking at these different line patterns. We were exploring different materials that could be used on the cover. They got proofs made, high-quality, entirely blank books to test different binding and printing methods. They got really excited about holographic foil in the process and how it had a spectrum of color. 
And if you actually look back at how God is described in the Bible, there's this rainbow of color around the throne. And these books being all about Jesus felt like, oh, this is a perfect material for this. But it wasn't quite. They couldn't get it to work on the cloth covers. We then moved it to the gilded page edges, which we thought was a really great solution. And we then moved to using the blind embossed covers, which reflected a lot of the decisions we made on the Conflict Beautiful. Another tie-in was using the same cloth color as the Desire of Ages, since the books in this collection are all about Christ. Altogether, they paid attention to a lot of the design things. The other reason we really wanted to remake these books or redo these books was from an editorial perspective. We wanted them to be a little bit more accessible to a modern audience. So. We updated the biblical passages from King James to New King James, and then we also selected some key words that were either archaic or more often than not typically still used today, but used in a very different way than they were 100 years ago when Ellen White originally wrote them. The most common example is the word intercourse. Uh, It shows up throughout her writings, and it's always used in place of interaction. So we updated that word to be interaction just to remove that resistance as you're reading through it. Another example is the word kid, which is usually used to refer to young goats. And that's not a egregious sort of example, but it sounds funny sometimes in context when you might be talking about killing a kid versus like killing a young goat. So there, there are a lot of examples of that, but uh, just ways to make the intended meaning a little clearer to a modern audience. You can learn more about the Light and Life collection and all the thought that went into the design and editorial changes by visiting typesandsymbols.com. You can also learn about the sharing edition of Steps to Christ, the Spanish edition of Steps to Christ, and the Light and Life journal. And with that setup turned plug out of the way, from Types and Symbols, this is The Conflict Audible. I'm Livy. I'm Ivan. And today on our show, Steps to Christ, Christ's Object Lessons, and Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. Well, I grew up in, in Quebec, in Canada. This is Denis. Denis Fortin, uh, Fortin. French-Canadian. And he grew up Catholic. I would say nominal Roman Catholic family. His parents didn't go to church. His grandmother did. His school was Catholic. Went to school in Roman Catholic schools as well. The public system in those years was confessional, so Roman Catholic. And our story begins when Denis is about 15 years old. I'm in high school. He's tall. Well, not too tall, skinny. And it's the mid-70s. That means long hair, shoulder-length hair. And on one Sunday, around noon, nominally Catholic, 15-year-old, not-too-tall, skinny, long-haired Denis turns on the family TV to one of the local stations in Quebec City. just happened that we flipped the TV on and... There is this It Is Written program in English. It is written in French for me, uh, Il est écrit. I was just surprised. I kind of loved what was going on in, in the TV program. Il est écrit was the French language version of It Is Written, a Seventh-day Adventist program that started in the mid-50s. The French language version had started right around this time that Denis ran across it, and he found it really interesting. He kept tuning in week after week, every Sunday at noon. The pastor there 
well, I did not know at the time he was a pastor, but the man on the program was explaining the Bible in all kinds of topics about the second coming of Jesus, about death, about the Ten Commandments, about salvation, you know, and so on. At the end of the programs, the presenter would invite listeners to write in to receive a free Bible study pamphlet. After a while of watching, Denis wrote in to ask for one. So I got that, filled it out, loved it, and sent it in. You know, it was a question and answer little uh, pamphlet. So I sent it in. And then one day, there's this man who uh, knocks at the door of our home, and he is returning to me this question and answer page of the leaflet that I had received, the Bible study. So he comes in, we chat a little bit about the program it is written, and then just before he leaves, he gives me a little book called Vers Jésus, which in English is Steps to Christ. Denis loved it. As a teenager, he found some of the language unfamiliar, but found other parts to be relevant, practical, and beautiful. And Steps to Christ, Ellen White's 13-chapter book on the process of conversion, ended up becoming a major part of Denis' journey into faith. Denis joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church shortly after, and then studied to become a pastor, before eventually becoming a professor at Andrews University. I have been a professor at Andrews University for 28 years, since 1994. I teach historical theology, uh, Ellen White studies, and also been a pastor for many years here on the campus of Andrews University. Denis has continued to read Steps to Christ throughout his life, many times in French and English, and even some attempts in Spanish. And this particular book even became a major area of his research at one point. Leading up to 2017, which was going to be both the 500th anniversary of the start of the Protestant Reformation and the 125th anniversary of the first publication of Steps to Christ, Denis had an idea for a project. He reached out to the director of the Andrews University Press, Ron Knott. Hi, Dad. About a special edition of Steps to Christ. It wouldn't change or update any of the content, but it would provide an in-depth historical introduction about how the book came together and explore the background and significance of the book's theology. In preparing that, Denis became even more familiar with this book. And this is how it started. It's around 1890. Ellen White is attending a pastor's meeting in northern Michigan, and during the convention, some pastors are mentioning to her that it would be good if she could prepare a little book on salvation, on some themes of salvation, which she had written a lot about in various books, articles, journals, and so on. And she thought, well, that's a good idea. Why not? The pastors thought that something like this, a book on the gospel, could be good for selling door-to-door or for evangelists to give away in their meetings. She loved the idea, and then she talked to her assistant by the name of Marion Davis. And Marion had been employed by Ellen White since about 1879. And Marion Davis was the, perhaps we could say, the primary assistant that Ellen White had employed to help her in the preparation of her books. Ellen referred to Marion as her bookmaker. We've talked about her on our show before, but if you aren't familiar, Marion's role was to sift through Ellen's pre-existing writings on various topics to find material that could be repurposed and recycled as the basis for new writings. Ellen would review what Marion gathered, then edit, adjust, and compose new writings from these ingredients. 
To be clear, Ellen White was writing a lot. Her writing just didn't take its first form as books. Marion Davis, throughout her career, between 1879 and when she died in 1904, helped to prepare 10 books of Ellen White. Books like The Great Controversy, Desire of Ages, Patriarchs and Prophets, Steps to Christ, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, Christ Object Lessons. Marion would go back and forth with Ellen, as well as her son Willie, who was another assistant. Some other assistants would also retype things. Then it would be a literal cut and paste and glue it into a scrapbook that would be the basis of a chapter of whatever book that they were working on. If you've heard our other episodes, this process might sound familiar to you. And Denis points out that Steps to Christ is not unique in how it came together. That we know there are basically no books of Ellen White that were written from cover to cover, like first page, chapter one, first page, to all, all the way to the last chapter, last page. That is not how the books of Ellen White were written, perhaps to the exception of the very, very first ones published by her and James White in the eight, early 1850s. After that, all of the books of Ellen White are a repurposing of some of the material that she has already used, printed, published somewhere, and they are the basis to create new books, little books at first, pamphlets of a few dozen pages to about a hundred pages, uh, testimonies for the church, and so on. And then as time progresses, and that Ellen White also has a little bit more of an income from her royalties, she's able to employ more assistants who will help her prepare the bigger books that we know of Ellen White, like the Conflict of the Ages series and, you know, some of the larger books of Ellen White. So if it were not for the assistance of Marion Davis and the others, we probably would not have the books. At least they would not look the way they do today. These assistants had an influence on what the book in the end looked like because of the work they did behind the scenes there for Ellen White. So Steps to Christ, therefore, is not, is not a novelty in the publications of the books of Ellen White because they're all published this way. So it's the summer of 1890. Marion has been working with Ellen for around 11 years at this point, and she gets this assignment from Ellen. She gets to work. There's a whole system the team has for keeping track of Ellen's writings, and over the next seven or eight months, they prepare the book together. In the summer of 1891, so 12 months later, after the request is made, or at least the suggestion is made, Marion Davis and Ellen White will share the manuscript that they've prepared to the pastors who are assembled again. And they love it. They say that's a good book. That's exactly what they thought they, they wanted to see. And then just within a few months, the book is uh, prepared. The first edition of Steps to Christ came out in 1892, and it was an instant hit. Within six weeks, there was already a third edition. Since then, Steps to Christ has gone on to be translated into over 160 languages. So the book Steps to Christ begins with uh, the first chapter on the love of God for humanity. It gives God and the love of God as being the focus of the plan of salvation. Our salvation begins because God loves us. And then chapter 2 
talks about the sinner's need of Christ. It talks about how bad we are, impossible to save ourselves. We are in the pit of sin. Every faculties of our lives, of our being, are, are touched, damaged by sin, and, and so on. But there is a Savior. The Savior is Jesus. And Jesus is the demonstration of the love of God. And if we accept Jesus, if we turn our hearts over to him, if we confess our sins, Jesus accepts us and we are redeemed. So the other chapters that come after that are about repentance. So she explains what repentance is and why it happens, why it's necessary, the role of the Holy Spirit in that, the role of our own individual uh, will and mind and decision-making to accept the love of God and, and Jesus as our Savior. Then she goes through uh, confession. She goes through what it means to, to be redeemed, what faith is all about, what accepting the offer of salvation in Jesus. She talks about justification by faith, about sanctification as well, how to grow into Christ. And then the last chapters are the practical ones I referred to earlier. So it's a book that is a practical book, trying to explain how we go through the experience of salvation. It's very personal, of course. Everybody's a little different. We all go through those steps in different ways, in different intensity. The Holy Spirit works with all of us in different ways. Ellen White highlights that and, and tries to, to explain in simple ways what, what we experience. And that's why I think the pastors in 1890-91 fell in love with that little book, that it was a great help to them in their evangelism. Denis explains that the theology of Steps to Christ relates very closely to the Wesleyan Methodist Armenian understanding of salvation, a view that is dominant in society at that time. She understands our relationship with God with those terms and the very same terms that other Christian denominations would have used in those years. If, like us, you're a little bit rusty on your Wesleyan Methodist Armenianism, don't worry. We asked Denis to explain what exactly that means. Well, um, John Wesley and within the Armenian tradition of Christianity understands that God's primary disposition toward humanity, a sinful humanity, is one of love, is one of care, benevolence, and mercy, and so on. And out of that love for humanity, God gave his only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3.16. That passage is a key passage for a Wesleyan Methodist Armenian understanding of, of God's primary disposition toward us. The other side of the coin is that if God loves us, God also does not force us to accept his love, to accept salvation, or to become followers of Jesus. God respects human will, human decisions, and God tries to convince humanity or individual people to accept Jesus as Savior. Those are the two core factors to understand the plan of salvation from a Wesleyan Methodist Armenian perspective. God's love and respect for human free will and the capacity to make decisions. Okay, so so far, Wesleyan Methodist Armenianism is God loves us and God doesn't force us to love him. So in between that, in between the, those two poles, there is the Holy Spirit. 
who comes from God, of course, who is God, and will try to attract a human person to accept Jesus through providence, through events that happens in somebody's life, something that people hear, listening to a sermon, having a friend do something good that will help that person understand the love of God in some ways. So the Holy Spirit works upon a person's heart and mind to help that person become aware of the love of God and the generosity of God in Jesus. When that person at a moment of awakening, decides, as feeble as the decision may be, that the person wants to accept Jesus, wants to know more, wants to yield to that influence of the Holy Spirit, you've got there the beginning of conversion. And so this is how these two poles are are brought together. The love of God, the generosity of God, and the human free will, yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit drawing people to God as, as, as much as he can through a number of circumstances. That is basically the, the tenets, the, the key tenets of a Wesleyan Armenian perspective, which is very, very much the one that Ellen White brings up in the book Steps to Christ. So three things. God loves us. God doesn't force us to love him. And the Holy Spirit is rather charming. It's a beautiful picture of God, and it's what you find in this little book. I would simply invite the listeners, uh, pick up a copy of Steps to Christ and just delve into it, see what it may say to you. It's a little book, it's a practical book, not too complicated, and I think you will love it if you've not picked it up. My name is Dennis Kaiser, and I am originally from Germany. Dennis has been on our show before. He's talked to us about the concept of inspiration and how that relates to Alan White's writings. I am teaching at the seminary at Anderson University, and my specialty is Avenus history, development of Avenus theology, Alan White studies. So I'm an associate professor of church history. We're talking to Dennis because one of his areas of studies relating to Alan White is the life of Christ. And what does that mean? Well, it depends. So on one hand, if we use the term more informally, we could say that it kind of focuses on what Ellen White has written on the life of Christ, uh, starting with uh, Spiritual Gifts, Volume 1. As a refresher, Spiritual Gifts was one of the earliest writings of Ellen White, and it's where the great controversy vision that became a central theme to Ellen White's writings was first shared. That became a four-volume series, and scattered throughout that series was additional material covering the life of Christ. Later in the 1870s, late 1870s, there was a pamphlet series of three pamphlets called The Life of Christ as a part of the Redemption series. I think there were five, three concerned Christ, two concerned the Acts of the Apostles. And that was eventually published in Spirit of Prophecy, Volumes 2, and the first half of Volume 3. As another refresher, The Spirit of Prophecy was another four-volume series of books, which eventually led to the Conflict of the Ages series. Splitting the content about the life of Christ across one and a half volumes happened because there was simply too much material. Then in 1896, we have Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. In 1898, we have Desire of Ages. And then we have, in 1900, Christ's Object Lessons. So, informally speaking, when it relates to Ellen White, Life of Christ can refer to a broad set of her writings. But formally speaking, The Life of Christ actually does refer to a book from Ellen White that's something of a historical anomaly. The 
there was a book published in different languages in the 1880s and 1890s. And basically the title translated into English was The Life of Christ, which was basically a revised or modified translation into various languages of Spirit of Prophecy Volume 2 and the first half of Volume 3. This revised, modified translation of Spirit of Prophecy was somewhat odd as far as translations go because the translations were based off of a manuscript instead of a completed book. But it was never actually written out as a manuscript. But you have a copy of Spirit of Prophecy Volume 2 with all these markings in there and then even like a page that was kind of inserted and pasted in there yeah, with new text. In one of the copies that Dennis has seen of the works that were prepared for translation, nine of the chapters have a line crossing out every page with a note to replace it with other writing. In other places, sentences are omitted. So this quote-unquote manuscript appears to have been a mix of heavily marked up copies of pre-existing works along with new material which, as we've already heard today, is similar to the process used for her books in English. So that was published in Danish, Norwegian, Swedish, German, French, and finally in Finnish. With the idea that if it runs well in the other languages, potentially to use the same manuscript and publish it also in English. The life of Christ ran very well in other languages. As a quick aside, this whole translation thing is pretty significant. That Ellen White and the Adventist Church were actively involved in having her inspired writings translated indicates something about how her gift of inspiration was understood. It helps reinforce that the thoughts, and not the specific words, were the important thing. And for the most part, it worked out really great. Again, the life of Christ ran well, and so, as had been intended, plans began for the English edition. Willie White, Ellen's son and main secretary at the time, was eager to get it out. And Ellen White began to work on it, and then she said, well, you know, before you publish it in English, I would like to make some revisions and work on it further. And so that's what she was doing, basically on and off from the late 1880s throughout the 1890s. Marion Davis was, of course, heavily involved with this, helping recollect the same English material that was used for the life of Christ. This project, to have a single volume on the life of Christ in English, ended up becoming the basis for The Desire of Ages. But Ellen's revisions and further work on it led to a lot more material. The publisher said, this is too much. Like, we, we can't publish this, nobody will buy it. There are difficulties regarding the binding and like, selling it and so on. Therefore, Ellen White thought to exclude the material on the parables into another book, the materials on the Sermon of the Mount into another book, and also the miracles of Christ into another book. So we have the life of Christ, which became Desire of Ages. We have the Sermon on the Mount, that became Thoughts on the Mount of Blessing. And then the parables of Christ, which became Christ's object lessons. The question is, what about the miracles of Christ? Yeah. We may say that parts of that is in Desire of Ages, to some extent, we might actually say that maybe more subtle, we find things concerning that also in Ministry of Healing. So the book, The Life of Christ, became The Desire of Ages and Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing and Christ's Object Lessons and possibly Ministry of Healing. 
all the result of Ellen revising and expanding and reworking her writings on Jesus. We'll come back to Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing and Christ's Object Lessons in a second. But remember earlier when I said that translations mostly worked out great? Dennis shared one instance related to the Life of Christ book, maybe minor, maybe not, of it working out not great. It took place in his home country of Germany, and it had to do with a question. The question, was Judas participating in the Lord's Supper or not? And so Ellen White, in The Life of Christ, had written, yes, Judas was there for the Lord's Supper. So foot washing and also then the meal. But one of the translators, who was a leader of the work in Europe, Ludwig Richard Conradi, he felt, no, this could not have been. And in his reading of, of the New Testament, he felt that Judas left before the meal and did not participate in the Lord's Supper. This translator, Conradi, would have liked Ellen White to have said that Judas left before the Lord's Supper. And I would have liked to tell you that Conradi didn't mess with the translation. So in the first couple of printings of the German translation, it said that Judas was there. But in the next couple of editions, it changed to he wasn't there. So this is like 1887 or so when it comes out. Judas was there, and then the next couple of years, then eventually it was changed to he wasn't there. So in 1887, in the earliest editions of the German translation of The Life of Christ, Judas participated in the Lord's Supper. A few years later, Judas did not participate in the Lord's Supper. In 1911 or 1910, Willie White gets in contact with Conradi and says, hey, there was this question and I looked it up and I discovered that in the first edition it was there and the next couple of editions it wasn't there anymore. So what happened here? And so it came out that Conradi felt, no, it's impossible that Judas was there for the Lord's Supper. He left before. And uh, Willie White said, well, I talked to my mother, and she was very clear, always very clear, that he was there. This deliberate mistranslation had theological implications, but it also had practical ones. I still remember that we had sometimes the Lord's Supper, and certain people didn't show up because they said, well, I will not participate in the Lord's Supper as long as this person is there. This person is a sinner. And if he's there, I can't go there. If he's allowed to the Lord's Supper, I will not participate. And I always found this odd. And I wondered, where did people get this idea from? But I think, and that's my hunch, that they got it from this German translation of the life of Christ, which for the older Adventists in Germany was still the work from Ellen White before Desire of Ages came out because that book didn't come out until the 1930s. To be honest, we're not entirely sure what all the theological implications of this particular point would be, nor why Conradi felt it was important enough to change it. But anyway, this seems to have been a rare case of nefarious mistranslation. Now, back to the books. Unlike The Life of Christ and The Desire of Ages, which both made some significant theological contributions and included instances of Ellen's special knowledge, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing and Christ's Object Lessons are a little bit different. I would say that it's largely in both books commenting on specific passages. For the first book, it's easier because it's basically focusing on Matthew 5, 6, 7, and then Luke, uh, the respective chapters there. And with Christ's Object Lessons, of course, there she is focusing specifically on those passages in the Gospels that deal with Christ's parables. But it's once again a commentary on those passages. And I would say an inspired commentary. I'm not sure that in all those passages she had a vision 
But inspiration doesn't always require a, let's say, a vision that happened beforehand. We talked to Dennis about inspiration on a previous episode, episode six. And if you haven't yet listened to that, it's worth checking out. The best recap we can give here is that inspiration is complex. And when it comes to these books, while they could come across as merely reflections on Bible passages, Dennis points out that there are some distinctive elements. For example, the emphasis on the Sabbath. When it comes to the thoughts of blessing, the emphasis on the law, and her explanations that the law is still valid, it's still something that Christians should keep. And that is where you find, of course, different views among other Christians that suggest that the law has been nailed to the cross and abolished, and so therefore there is no need to keep the Sabbath. And so Ellen White, including Adventists, they stressed, no, the law has not been abolished. Yes, Christ died for us, and we are saved by, by grace. We are saved by his merits. But that doesn't absolve Christians from trying to live in harmony with God's will, which has been revealed uh, in Scripture, especially in the Ten Commandments. And so that also includes the Sabbath. Something else that comes up in Christ's object lessons is the cosmic conflict, the idea of a battle between good and evil. You might remember that this is pretty central to Ellen's theology and her major focus in the Conflict of the Ages series. The idea of a cosmic conflict isn't unique to her or to Adventists, but Dennis thinks that what she says about it is distinctive. I think that Ellen White kind of emphasizes that in this battle between good and evil, the actual central point or the central question has to do with the character of God and that God is love and that this has been challenged and so therefore, in this cosmic conflict, it's supposed to be revealed that, that God is truly love. That is something that, I don't know if it's fully unique, but I think it's one of the more distinct points in her writings. As we've heard, Steps to Christ was always intended as a standalone book. And Christ's object lessons and thoughts from the Mount of Blessing are perhaps best grouped with the desire of ages because they overflowed from it. But Dennis shared one last thought with us that gives some support for thinking of the three books, Steps to Christ, Christ Object Lessons, and Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, as a natural group. We'll close out with that. I think that it's just natural that our thinking and the way how we look at things is defined by what we encounter first. It sets kind of the paradigms and the parameters for our thinking. And if people, for example encounter the writings of Ellen White by first looking at the testimonies or messages to the young people or something like that, you know, the council's books, it will determine the way how they look at her as a person and her writings. And I don't think that it's necessarily the best way to do it because today we had no chance to meet Ellen White. We don't know her really as a person. We never met her at a camp meeting. We never read her weekly articles in the Review and Herald or Science of the Times or other periodicals. So we didn't have this exposure to Ellen White, and therefore we have difficulties, I would say, to understand those writings properly that were written for an Adventist audience, people that had this background. Therefore, I think it's important to start to read books from her that don't require such a background. And so one book that doesn't require such a background that includes her most important ideas on salvation, on God, on Christ, on the Christian life, and so on, in a nutshell, is the book Steps to Christ. So I would say, if you wonder where to begin, begin with that book. And then from there, you can say, well, 
Steps to Christ, this book leads you to the other books on Christ. If you feel that Desire of Ages is too big, because it's 800 pages, well then read Thoughts and Mount of Blessing and Christ's Object Lessons. And so you kind of prep yourself to read something that is getting bigger and bigger, and then you can do Desire of Ages. Yeah. And it's in those books where you really see, wow, there she actually expounds on who Christ was, what he did, what he taught, and what he was about. And so I think it's these three books, Desire of Ages, Thoughts Mount of Blessing, and Christ's Object Lessons, that show us far more than any of her other works what she thought about Christ and that she was in love with Jesus, that she had a passion for Jesus. And with that, when she talks about it, it's in a, in a cosmic conflict context, of course, yeah, in this framework, then I think we're better able to understand her other works in this cosmic conflict framework, like Petrus and Prophets, Prophets and Kings, Acts of the Apostles, Great Controversy, and so on, because we will see how the same motifs run through. The motif of, well, the cosmic conflict is truly about the character of God. And that character was revealed in Christ. And that's what we see in his sermons, that's what we see in his parables, that's what we see in, in his life when he healed people and so on. So therefore, I would say these books on Christ, they should come at the beginning of somebody's, let's say, Christian life. And if you want to start reading Ellen White, if you want to understand her other writings properly, start with those books. Conflict Audible is produced by Types and Symbols, an independent creative studio, as a companion to The Conflict Beautiful and The Light and Life Collection, new hardcover NKJV editions of some of Ellen White's most well-known books. Learn more at typesandsymbols.com. This episode was produced by me, Ivan ruiz Knott, with help from Olivia ruiz Knott, Alex Prouty, and Kevin Burton. Additional production assistance by Mark Cook and Mark Ullum. Thanks as well to Tim Poyer for his input. Many thanks especially to our guests Dr. Denis Forten, Dr. Dennis Kaiser, and my co-founder Mark Cook for taking the time to talk to us for this episode. And please, please know that people being on this show or helping out with it or being related to us does not in any way mean that they agree with everything or anything we say, nor does it mean that they endorse or support the Conflict Beautiful or the Light and Life Collection. They are just really nice people trying to help us do a good job at understanding and explaining Ellen. If you want to learn more about Ellen White from the people she entrusted with her estate, visit whiteestate.org. We are in no way affiliated with them, but they have a lot of great resources. Also, if you're a really nice person who can help us understand and explain Ellen, let us know. Did we get something wrong? Did we leave something out? Do you know a ton about something we've touched on? Did we miss an important point? Do you have questions? Do you just disagree? We probably want to talk to you. Visit theconflictaudible.com to get in touch. know what to talk about uh this is i this is the thing i fall into like i have this problem even with uh normal conversations with people where i just um 
I feel like I'm sharing things no one cares about. And so then I, I like lose interest in what I'm saying really fast too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, forget it. Like, I just am going to stop talking. 